Welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of This Is What I Think About It, and this is your host, Mr. Danielle. Today I have a special treat for everyone, Tasha Jatar, that I affectionately call Tosh. She has written this book, and it is so amazing. It's called The Shoe Finally Fits, A One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. I am so excited for her to be here and Latasha, 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 thanks for taking the time out to come and hang out with me today. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start talking about this book, right? I actually opened the book and I'm like, oh, this is very nice. This is a nice book. I don't know what I thought. I thought it was maybe a book of poetry. But when I started reading this, it was like I was reading my own life story. It was, I'm crying now at my desk, literally, like on page six. I think I had got up to page six. Who cries at page six? The book was so amazing, so well written, so thought out, and so raw and real. What? I don't even want to ask you. What were you feeling while writing? I got to ask you because I want to know. What were you feeling while writing this book? Well, the book is many, many years in the making. I actually have been wanting to write a book for forever. And it wasn't until you put the challenge in front of me that I had to um, come to a decision on what I was going to write about. And that is the most I mean, I realized that I wasn't a novelist like I thought. I probably could write a novel, but what was most authentic for me to write was about my own story. And it was it made it very easy with this, you know, deadline that was in front of me to get it done and, you know, really come from a place in my heart. So it, it just it happened so fast. I wrote it literally in 30 days. My God. You know, I was thinking about when did we meet and how did we meet? It was a, a course or a conference I had and you joined and it, it instantly felt like we already knew each other. It's, it was hard to explain because we instantly clicked. And I was going, like, do I know her? Have I met her? And the funny thing is we lived the same story. We lived the same story without giving the way well you can tell you can talk about this book all day and they would still have to read it because not only did you put affirmations in there you put words of encouragement in there you made me feel as if ah okay okay another motherless daughter I am not alone and I think that a lot of women um think that you know once we're older you know, as long as we keep our outer together, you know, no one would know our inner. But what you did was expose yourself in a way that I will forever be grateful for. Because those words that you talked about not growing up with your mother. Tell tell me about that. I read the book, but I want to hear it from your words. Tell me about that. How was it growing up without your mother physically being present? Well, first, let me say that... Um... When I came to your um, 
virtual yeah. retreat, I didn't realize that there were so many women who did not grow up with their mothers until then. And so I thought I was alone. I thought I was the only one <laughs> who didn't have a mother who was alive and not present in their lives. So that really freed me from feeling um, like a motherless daughter and, the, you know, like I was all alone. But growing up without my mother, oh my God, it was, I felt, I always felt like I was out of place because all of my friends were besties with their mothers and I didn't know what that felt like. And I would just feel um, unworthy. It caused a lot of issues in relationships with men. Um, I had, I struggled as a mother. I still struggle <laughs> as a mother, but um, just not having her made me, it, I thought it was something wrong with me that there was um, an issue that I had that she did not want to mother me because um, in my situation, she reared my sister. And so it was like, okay, I'm the oldest. <laughs> so why you pick her over me when, you know, I'm, I'm the first one. We've been riding together longer. So what's going on? So I, it was a lot of questions. And I remember when I was little, because my grandmother reared me primarily with my dad. And I asked her, I'm like, why didn't my mother want me? And I even asked her, can I call you mom? And she said, no, you have a mother. And um, there's, you know, she tried as much as she tried to, there was nothing wrong with me. I still never believed her um, because who leaves their children? I, I, that just wasn't a reality for me, for anybody that I ever grew up with until I became an adult. So it was, it was difficult. It was very difficult. It was a part in there when, it, and you read, you wrote about, you're asking your grandmother, and she was like, hey, I'm going to give you everything I have, but you have a living mother. And it's as crazy as it sounds, I think death somehow puts a halo on a situation, meaning that when the person isn't physically here, you know, well, they couldn't be here because God took them home. When someone is physically alive and leave you, I would always think, like my mom was always like at work or at school or at fill in the blank. And then after a while, I moved in with my grandmother and my mother had other children. And then she, those children went back and forth with my grandmother. And then she got married and had a husband and she had those children. And it was always something. And you talked about it. You said it so perfectly. Like I always felt as if I didn't measure up. And even though I excelled in everything and tried extra hard to be extra friendly, and extra nice, I need you to really break that down on how that spilled over from being extra nice and extra loving to being a pushover because you adequately, oh, when I say that you put that in such a way, it was not only an educated way, it was a heartfelt way, but it was so truthfully spoken and authentic that it sounded like you, they just have to get this book. They just have to get this book. <laughs> they, and I'm going to make sure I put the link in the description. But how did it go from being extra sweet and extra nice to finding yourself saying more yeses to things that you didn't want to do versus saying more no's because it didn't, um, it was just too much. 
Mm-hmm. And when did you? Well, when did the turning point? I probably asked too many questions at one point. This, no, no, that's fine. This book is just like I had to get you on here because I read the book twice. Um, well, it's little, but it's mighty, is what I say. Because I was really worried about it not being a big. <laughs> I was like, oh, this little bitty book, but I prayed about it. Um, and I do believe that it was, you know, God intended for me to write it because I struggled so long in getting it out. But I don't really remember, like I read through this book so many times, but it, I have only remember a couple of things that I wrote in the book. But just from that question, what came up for me was that um, because I didn't have my mom, and I only had my dad. I wanted to be the best little girl for him. I was a daddy's girl. I did not want him to ever think anything ill of me. And, you know, nobody else either. Everybody had to like me or it was going to I would have just been crushed because as a motherless daughter, my own mama didn't like me. I needed everybody's validation. Um, if I didn't have it, then where would I be? Where was I? How was I going to feel loved and lovable? So I did everything I could running out of my shoes backwards. If anybody asked me to do something, I'm there. If I, um, you know, the shirt off my back here, have it. And what's funny is I identified that like when I became an adult, my mother and I began to build a relationship and I could see that in her, but I couldn't see it in myself. I didn't, that I didn't really know how to tell people no, or I went to the extreme with no, but that's a whole other story. But I didn't see myself as the people pleaser until after she passed. And the turning point for me was when she passed. When I, when she passed away and my family, not my extended family, but my immediate family, I had small children, I'm married, and they were still pulling on me. I'm like, um, hello, my mama just passed. Like, do you realize I have suffered a great loss? And they were looking like, I mean, what, what's the problem? You can't do what I'm asking you to do. I said, you know what? Something has got to change about this. Apparently I have given people the wrong impression that I'm going to do everything they want me to do when they want me to do it. So that's when I realized, you know what? You're just like her. You are, you have extended yourself to the point where people don't even consider that you could be going through something. I even one time was crying. My husband's gonna kill me, but I was crying. And this was shortly after mama passed. And he's like, what are you crying about? What do you mean? <laughs> I'm not crying because I burned the toast. I'm crying because my mama just died. What do you, you know, that's not even a question. It blew my mind. And he even, my car, the uh, headlight was out. And he's like, you know, you need to get that headlight fixed. I can't curse. But I cursed that day and I was like, I don't care anything about that. I have suffered a great loss and I need time before I can do anything else but deal with my pain. And so that's when I knew I had to change. I had to make sure that I changed so that other people could realize I've got boundaries and I've set them and I need you to respect them. Tasha Hewitt, when I say telling my whole story, I remember being so distraught. And my, when my grandmother died, I, I don't remember me crying right away because I'm not like a crier. I'm more of a get it done and think about it later. But people were like looking at me like foreign, like you crying, like you upset. What's wrong with you? Like I had to give myself permission to be human. And when I read that in the book, I think when I read about you leaving, you you went into labor, 
and you had to leave your baby was born and your your mom later and how he wasn't even a week old and you had to fly back to Chicago for the funeral and I was thinking you know you're nursing you're and I you wrote it as if you were telling it to me because I had never heard the story before but I can see a mother on the plane flying for across the United States to go to lay the woman who raised her, her heart, away, leaving her newborn baby, nursing it on that plane. And I kept thinking, that was so hard. It was so hard. But thankfully, and you said, thankfully, you had your newborn baby to get your attention, to keep your attention and to get your mind off of that. And as mothers, I think a lot of times for me, I have been able to not hurt as much or deal with it as much or soak or wallow in it as much because I have someone that's depending on me. Besides your son um, being the person that you focus on, what did you do for self-care? What did you do for self-love during that time? Or was it a full focus on your son and just getting t- through the next day? It's interesting when you bring that up that exactly, I didn't. I didn't have any self-care. I put all of my energy into him. And that was my first marriage. And he, you know, my first husband was like, I mean, he knew I had this new <laughs> newborn baby. He knew I just lost my grandmother, but he was kind of like, I mean, what about me? And I have it for him. I'm like, you don't understand. I got to take care of this baby. Um, I don't have, you know, I lost my grandmother. I blamed him for every, I blamed him for my grandmother passing. I was like, this is your fault. If I wasn't here in Florida, if I was in Chicago, this never would have happened. And I mean, how crazy is that to blame him for somebody who's miles away, passing away. But all all I knew was there's nothing wrong with me. (laughs) There's everything wrong with everything. And it's everybody's fault. So I don't have to focus any attention on myself. I'm going to take care of this baby to the best of my ability because my grandmother is not here. She's the only person I could, you know, that I felt would be able to tell me how to do this thing called life with a baby. And she's gone. So... Let me just do this. Let me not even think about myself. And it was crazy because after I came back from her funeral, which was only like, it might've been that next day. I was only gone a day. Um, there was a organization. I can't even remember who they were, but they were checking on me and asking me questions. And they're like, um, do you have any, can, do you have peripheral vision? And I didn't have it. And I hadn't even realized. <laughs> I didn't have it. So I'm like, uh, yeah. So if I don't, what does that mean? And they're like, well, that means if you don't have peripheral, if you didn't have peripheral vision, then that means that your pressure could be really high. You could stroke out. I'm like, oh Lord, <laughs> I'm about to die. I hadn't been paying myself any attention to the point that I didn't even realize I literally, it felt like I had on blinders. So that was a, you know, that was a wake up call that maybe I should take naps when the baby is sleeping, we could sleep at the same time. And I started to a little bit take care of myself, but only because if I'm not here to take care of this baby, then, you know, who he would be without a mama. And I don't want to leave him without a mama. I didn't have a mama. So calm down, 
get you some sleep, eat, you know, take care of yourself because this baby needs you. Not that you need you, but this baby needs you. So that slowed me down, but only because of that. And that was the weirdest experience. And I don't even remember writing that <laughs> in the book about coming to my grandmother's funeral when this baby was born. And I was devastated. If I would have been able to bring that baby with me to Chicago, <laughs> I would not have gone back to Florida. That's the only thing that I, I had to go back because the baby was there. But if he'd have been able to fly, that would have been a wrap on my experience in Florida. That's what you said in the book. And I was thinking, oh, my God. And that's when I think that I was so like, you know, when you already have to leave your baby, when you didn't grow up with a mother, I over mother. I don't know if you over mother, but I definitely find myself over mothering. Are you okay? I mean, do you need anything? Am, am I doing a good job? Or, you know, because I think I, I did not realize it until you said it. I was doing everything not to get, I didn't want anybody else to leave. So I'm not going to give nobody no problems. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be hard. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to make this easy so everybody can stay. And when you said I had gotten so familiar with the pain and I was thinking how many people have became friends with their pain? We don't even notice it because it's familiar. Like an old next door neighbor, we get so familiar. And I kept reading that line. I had gotten so familiar with the pain. Um, and I don't want to quote you, but it says something like, you can you can see the pain in others and tell them how to fix it. But when someone asks you how you're doing, I'm fine. Because we're, we don't want anybody else to see our flaws. We don't want to look bad. So we're fine. How many women are out there saying that they're fine? And it's a lie. Mm -hmm. We're programmed to say fine. So under if you could talk to your 20-something-year-old self, what would you tell her about saying that you're fine when actuality, you're in shambles? What would you tell her? I would tell her, get a babysitter, <laughs> go to the spa, sit down somewhere, <laughs> take a nap. <laughs> um, this baby ain't going to fall apart without you. This house ain't going to fall apart without you. This laundry going to get done when it get done. Um, it don't matter if those socks don't match. Just throw them away. Get you a new pair. Uh, <laughs> go to the movie. I mean, you know, take care of you. Life is going on. Life will continue without you. Um, and you mess around and be you know, where it, it will be no you and life is going to continue. When my mother, right after she passed, and it's the, cra well, everything is the craziest thing in my opinion. I say that a lot. But right after she passed, the words and so came to my head, like, what's next? And what's next is life goes on. Yeah. Mama's gone, but life goes on. This life is just going to continue regardless of what you feel about it. And whether you're going to participate in it participate in it or not so the best thing for you to do is the next best thing arrangements need to be and I was so looking back on it now I was so chill and that's what I would tell my younger self just chill out relax everything ain't a big deal and you know a lot of things happened in my life that got me to that point it took years and years and years and even now saying this chill out I need to tell my 44 year old <laughs> chill out relax it's okay and I think every once in a while we have to do that just remind ourselves that it's not a big deal 
Because when you go on, when your heart is no longer pumping, guess what? Everybody else that's still on this earth, they're going to still be living. They're going to still be carrying out. They're going to remember you and miss you from time to time and maybe even shed some tears. But they got to live. And you got to live while you're here. And so I'm just grateful to have come to the realization that life is for the living. And get some while you can, because before you know it, it'll be gone. I don't want to have any regrets. That's another thing that I learned when mama passed. I told my mama, and I don't know if I wrote about it in a book. I might have written about it on Facebook. But I told her she was in hospice. I said, Mama, you did everything you needed to do. You said everything you needed to say. Mama must have got up out that bed and she hadn't gotten up for days. Yeah. <laughs> she had been what she hadn't been speaking. She hadn't been eating. She hadn't been drinking. Okay. But I felt like this, we're nearing the end. And I just want to put her at you know, I want her to be at peace. I want her to go peacefully. She must have been like, oh, baby, I ain't gone yet. I don't know what you're talking about. I still got some life in me. And what that taught me was, as long as you have breath, you better live. You better live because what's your alternative? And I was, you know, like, wow, this woman had got up out the bed. She sat straight up and she was just sitting there looking at me and I'm looking at her and I'm like, I want to say something, but I mean, what else was, there was nothing to say. She was telling me, live, get you life while you can, because before you know it, it's no longer. And I don't want to have any regrets. Girl, when I read the book the first time I was an emotional wreck. So that's why I had to read it again. <laughs> It was, you know, that my grandmother is named Ardella and your grandmother mm -hmm. is named Della. Mm -hmm. It was so many similarities to us in this book that I'm like, why is this girl telling all my business? Like, <laughs> <laughs> who gave her permission to tell my business? And I, it was a place in the book where you talked about needing others' validation to survive I remember me trying on clothes and asking people do I look fat do, do how do I look like do I look fat and I remember my grandmother telling me when you give people permission to feed you you give them permission to starve you you don't need no damn praise from nobody if you're gonna wear it wear it and I remember me saying okay like <laughs> that was all the validation that I needed but the older that I got I forgot those lessons where I, I look back and go, I should have been taking notes. I should have been taking, I should have been taking notes because the validation that we were seeking was just making sure that people were okay with us. Like, is this okay with you? I want to make you happy as well. And when you start talking about, you know, in the book further down in the book about, I didn't care what was going on, you know, these kids, my husband, whatever else. I had to take time for me. And I I just felt so excited for you. It felt like you had came out the cocoon into a butterfly and you were just like, you know, okay. But it seemed to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, it seemed to me that the only way that could have happened is your life happened the way that it happened. Meaning that your mom ended up coming back, helping you um, with the kids. You guys had a relationship. You were able to spend time with her, then find out about the bipolar and find out about the generational curses and releasing that anger 
releasing that anger in order to become a butterfly. Was that an element or in the book, it seems like that was the most important element that you had closure to that situation. You were able to forgive and you were able to be your best self. Is that true? Absolutely. So many things. Um, Before mama passed, look, everything is before mama passed and after mama passed. But before mama passed, um, I didn't care anything about my happiness. Everything was wrapped up into everybody else's happiness to the point where I was mothering my husband. When you said that you were over mothering your children, that was me with him. Are you okay? I got on his nerves, okay? <laughs> Asking him a hundred times a day. If he's frowned, I, it must have been my fault. I did something. I didn't season the chicken well enough. So I, after mother passed and I realized I was just like her, I re- I had to come to the conclusion, you got to be your own hero, boo. You got to take care. Ain't who is here? You ain't got no mama no more. So you have to release her. You have to forgive her. And I had forgiven her before she passed, but I absolutely, I mean, what could she do? There was no more mothering to do. I had to be the one to say there was God and then there was me. There was no in-between. And you know, I have my father, but I realized as a mother, we put way more pressure on mama than we do daddy. So I love my daddy. That's my Superman. You know, he always been good to me. So he, he was cool over there. But my mama, I had to be mama. I had to be my hero. I had to be the source of my happiness outside, of, you know, God and then me. And so that's what, what did it for me. That's what gave me life and um, and allowed me to take care of myself because it gave me permission when she passed to be the one to take care of me. Like I was no longer looking for anybody else. And um, yeah, I, I put on my cape <laughs> and I, I my famous line that I said a dozen times a day, if anybody asks me anything, I have suffered a great loss, so forgive me if I yell, if I act out and clown, because I don't e- I'm not even myself right now. I don't know who I am, but I do know that I'm taking care of me. So, you know, I'm not trying to hold you up on doing what you got to do, <laughs> but I got to do what I got to do. You know, you said in the book, too, um, it was a hard pill to swallow, but I had no other choice than to swallow it. And I think about how many times we will hold the same pill in our mouth, waiting for it to dissolve, waiting to chew it up, waiting to break it up, waiting for it to melt in some water versus just taking that pill, honey, swallowing it and kicking it back with some water and keep it moving. Because what is, is what is, is. And I wish I'd known that I wasted decades of my life trying to figure other people out and trying to make sure that they were okay. And nobody was asking me, was I okay? Nobody even thought that I couldn't be okay because I didn't give them that option. And when you spoke about that in the book, girl, I'm telling you, this book was so amazing. And I was thinking about when you said, um, I am no longer afraid of the unknown. And I was thinking, what? My grandmother said grace is when God is protecting you for something worse while preparing you for something better. And I think about that with this book because people are looking at you 
you're beautiful, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're educated, you're kind, you speak very well, you write like nobody's business, and not knowing that in the inside you had something going on with you that went back for generations that had something, you were born into it, it wasn't your fault. But being when something is not your fault and you try to fix it, it never gets fixed the way you think that it will get fixed. We think that if we give it to them, they'll give it back to us and it will fix us. You did the work. I want to talk about you doing the work. I want to talk about, it's so many things I want to talk about, like even <laughs> with your husband, how your husband was kind and patient. He really didn't understand what was going on. How did, well, we're going to go to him. Let's go to him. How did um, your overmothering, I know you were overmothering him for us making sure that he was okay and everything was fine. Because again, you know, when you are left by a parent, you don't want anybody else to leave. So you're trying to make sure that you're doing your part and everybody else's part and make sure that he's okay. How did you two, as a couple, decide, okay, we're going to deal with this and then this is how we're going to get past it. And had he, did he know that was was going on with you or did he think that you were an extra caring, extra on top of things kind of girl? Mm -mm. I think he thought I was a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) I think he thought that I was, well, I was, I was a control freak because I needed to know when the other shoe was going to drop so that I could catch it before it hit the floor. And that's nerve wracking. I didn't realize I was doing that. He would get annoyed and I would see the annoyance on his face when I'd say, you know, what's wrong? And he's like, nothing. And I'm like, okay, no, really what's wrong. And he's looking at me like, girl, I just told you it's nothing, but it's gotta be something because you frown and I'm looking at your face and something is wrong and I got to fix it. And he's like, this girl, he probably is thinking this girl is crazy because she won't leave me alone with this. But he was patient enough to just, you know, I don't know. I We've never talked about it. And that's one thing that I want to say if I, you know, if there's anything that I would want to relate to any woman or man who's listening, it, the work had to be done with me. He didn't, there was nothing for him to do in regards to my healing I was responsible for my own healing. So I could have looked to him like, okay, help me understand this. But he didn't have it for it. He about didn't understand it. But once I realized what I was doing, I didn't even ask him, am I over-mothering you? I knew it. That's what this is. You you are a control freak. You're going to have to fix that. I didn't go to him and say, help me to fix this. Help heal me. Help me to heal. I'm grateful that he was patient enough <laughs> when I was doing it not to say, you know what, I got the package. This girl is crazy. Let me get up out of here. But he, you know, I've never even discussed it. The first time he ever knew about what I was going through and what I was doing was when he read the book. He didn't even read the book before I released it. And so we've never even talked about that. He's not a big talker period (laughs) he's just a man you know who takes care of his family he's not no big you know we're about to have this therapeutic conversation every once in a while we'll have those but we didn't even discuss the book I knew that he um 
didn't have an issue with it, so to speak, when he was telling other people about it. And, you know, some friends of his have purchased the book, but we have never had a conversation about anything in the book. So I, because of him being the way, he's very much himself. I want to be like him when I grow up. He know he say what he mean. He mean what he say. No nonsense. Just moving freely. He's the freest person I know in my life. So I had to take ownership of my stuff and I had to fix it for me. But it wasn't until I realized and became aware of what I was doing that I even would acknowledge it and do the work on it. And now today, I know how much time I spent lost and blind and not even thinking about anything you know, in regards to anything I needed to fix. I only got into your um, virtual retreat because I'd watched you on YouTube for so long. And I was like, I need to know her. <laughs> so whatever, which way I get to be connected with this woman, that's what I'm gonna do. Oh, she having a virtual um, retreat. I'm there. Let me sign up because I, I need to know her. So it wasn't even to do the work. I hadn't signed up for that. I signed up because I wanted to know Nikisha. So it, I ended up getting the work as a bonus. And then I said, wait a minute, girl, you something wrong with you. You need to do this mirror work. You need to do these assignments because you've got some stuff that you haven't fixed. So, I, you know, part of my, um, where I am now, which is far from, you know, where I was, I'm not perfect, but I'm grateful for the growth. It's a lot to do with your retreat and many other um, women that I watch. And, you know, I try to get motivation all the time because it fuels me. Um, so a lot of that came from the retreat. You know, when I read the book and I already like in my feelings about it because I'm like, oh, I'm so happy for her. You know, I feel her, you know, I went through this, you know, I overcame because I think sometimes um, people can look at you and think, you know, she's fine. She's straight. Look how she moving. No, I'm busy. Like I'm moving. I'm moving to keep busy. I'm not moving because, you know, I like to move. I'm moving so I won't deal with this. So I won't have to think about this. So I won't have to go through this. So when I read the book and I literally was honored. Um, I felt blessed because I asked God and I pray before I do every, every retreat, every seminar, every conference, God use me, speak through me, make sure that I am not speaking from a hurt place. Make sure that I am speaking from you. I want to be relatable. I don't ever want to appear perfect you know how people have these conferences and they're perfect and their life is great I'm like honey no I've been through that I did that this happened this happened this happened but we're going to work out of it we're not going to stay here we're not going to complain about it we're going to get out of this place I've been here so we're going to get out of this place together and when I met you and I, I listened to your story and I felt that I knew you but when I read this book I was like, I know her, know her. I know her in a place that I was her. I am her. And I am definitely, um, it, it's, a, it's a constant struggle. It's a constant self-love and self-care is a constant struggle for me. 
It's a constant struggle for me. And as in so many other mothers and so many women, it's just a constant struggle of always getting it right. Um, Tiffany, Tiffany Rochelle, you talked about her in the book and Shannon Yvette in the book. Um, when did you um, start watching them? Because those two women have been such, such a pillar in my life. I started watching them um, after you talked about them. I was like, okay, let me find them because like you, um, self-care is a struggle. And I had so many breakthroughs from your retreats. I attended too, actually, that I'm looking for more. And, you know, it became a drug to me. Now I got these breakthroughs. <laughs> this is freeing me up from all, the, you know, some of this pain. It's helping me to understand and relate to other women more because, you know, I, it's something about not having a mother like I have a very small circle and I'm not upset about my small circle but I don't tend to gravitate towards other women as easily as some people do and I think it's because you know I want to it's not my mama's fault but it's my responsibility to unpack it and I know that some of it comes from I don't really have a trust of other women so when you brought them up I'm like okay let me go look and check these women out and see what they're about and I'm like oh my god they're just as amazing <laughs> thank you for putting me on to them they are amazing I watched um Tiffany Rochelle on Periscope as well as Shannon Yvette and on Faith everywhere they are that's where I am, okay? I'm following all three of you, as well as uh, my friend, uh, Chakra Wanda. And I don't even know how. I think I just discovered her. Um, you know, God just brought her to me through Periscope. So I just, from watching you all, I started to feel more comfortable. I'm like, okay, you're not by yourself. Um, these are women that you, you, I felt like I could trust you. Because you all speak from a place of authenticity and you don't I don't really open up a lot of people say it's because I'm a Virgo I don't know but I'm very closed off um so I seem a little standoffish but I'm very open to the truth you know and I'm because I am very analytical I can in my mind pick out you know when people aren't coming from that place and so since you all are very authentic it made me feel open to being authentic, which is how this book got written because I would have never written 10 years ago. First of all, I come from a black family. <laughs> we don't tell people our business. <laughs> nobody knows, you know, until I wrote this book. I mean, not nobody, but very few. My little circle knew that I didn't yeah. grow up with my mama. It's people in my job who never knew. My mother came to my daughter's baby shower that they had for me at work. They would have never known that I didn't grow up with her. That because you don't tell people your business. So yeah. when I would watch you all, it just became natural for me to say, okay, this is what happens. I, even on Facebook, you know, I open up on Facebook all the time about, you know, my shortcomings and what happened and what the children said. <laughs> I don't really talk too much about my husband because he doesn't talk a lot. I don't want to make him uncomfortable. But at the same time, this is my story too. And yeah. I have no problem telling my story. So, you know, it just, you all just helped me with that. And so that's what led me to them and what led me to being so open, open enough to write this book. You know, I met, it, it, the funny thing is I have maybe three Virgo girlfriends in maybe like the past 10 years. 
And they are so, I don't want to call them skeptical about people, but they don't, you know, I walk up, hey girl, how you doing? Uh-uh. They'll speak, but you ain't going to get too far. You know what I'm saying? You just ain't going to get too far. And the funny thing is, um, one of them I met on the poetry scene. One of them is Taryn, which is Asset, and Jennifer. Both of them live in New York. And it's funny, we're on a group text, and I would literally have to say, hey, where y'all at? Hey, what y'all doing? Hey, y'all all right? Like, they will get over in their Virgo corner, and they don't say a lot. But when they say something, it's important. And I pay attention. My son is a Virgo, and he's the same way. He don't kiki-key a lot. Hey, mama, you all right? You need anything? Okay. He does not talk a whole lot, so he's not really open. But what I have learned with being around Virgo women, it is a sense of love that you just genuinely feel around them. You feel uh, like... I don't want, like a covering. It's a covering. You feel a covering of love, and I felt that when I met you. And, you know, you meet people, and they're nice. But when you meet them, and you feel that covering, I met Shannon Yvette online. I went to her retreat. I flew to California to her retreat, and Tiffany Rochelle was there. That was the first time me meeting her. And someone called me and said that my son was robbed at gunpoint as soon as I touched down. Now, we live in Illinois. He lives in Illinois. I live in Missouri, which is six minutes away. But I'm in California, in Calabasas. And literally, I felt like I was going to faint. And we were walking uphill. And I'm 210 pounds. And they literally carried me uphill, lean on me. We walking. We, it, we ain't got no car in sight. We walking. So I leaned on them, physically leaned on them, spiritually and emotionally leaned on them, and they carried me uphill till I was able to carry myself. That was a testament of sisterhood. It was a testament of love. It was a testament of living life unselfishly. And I knew that my purpose on earth is always connecting great women with other great women. I have not interviewed anybody on this on this podcast. Anybody. You're my very first guest. But I knew who I wanted to be my very first guest. I knew it was going to be you. And I knew it was going to be you once I read this book. Once I read the, the, the even the subtitle, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. That's all we're looking for. All we are looking for is love. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what your marital status is. I don't care what your race, your religion, your size, your fill in the blank. We are all looking to get to the destination called love. That's all we're looking for. You have some this of these 54 pages <laughs> right here. This, this is why this is a, per, a perfect example about it does not matter the size. People really worry about quality versus quantity. If anybody is saying, I'm looking for quality, you can get this 54-page book. You can buy a 540-page book. If you ain't talking about nothing, you just ain't talking about nothing. I don't care how many pages you got. When I tell you the affirmations, 
blew my mind. Not only did you start me here, you took me to the valley, but you also took me to the mountaintop. You reminded me what sisterhood looks like, the women that you spoke about in the book, your friend circle, how you um, even decided to go to counseling. I mean, I, I can actually do a commercial about this book. If you need anybody to do a I can sing your praises all day. The, the love, the sisterhood, the relationship with your husband, how you forgave your mother, how you overcame. It's, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm honored to know you. I'm honored to know you. And I am so glad that you decided to be so transparent in this book. I want to talk about, too, therapy. When did you know you needed to go to therapy? Because black women think therapy, church is therapy. Therapy is therapy and church is church. So let's talk about when you decided to go to therapy. Well, first, let me say that the feeling is mutual. Likewise, (sighs) and um, there was a time when all of that, what you just said, would have made me feel so uncomfortable because I wouldn't have been able to receive it. So I'm grateful that I can receive everything you said and just tell you the feeling is mutual. Um, my first experience with therapy was, was it, I'm trying to think the first time I went to a therapist. Well, when mama, look, back to when mama passed, um, grief therapy, I went there because I felt like, okay, I don't feel you know, like I'm not able to function, but I just think it's a good idea to go. But I think my first experience with therapy was um, because I wanted to fix my husband. I think that's when it was. I can't remember. But one of the times I thought, okay, I'm about to go to therapy <laughs> and I'm about to tell her that she needs to tell me what to do because I got to fix him. Because if I could fix him, then our lives would be perfect. And you know, I'm going to say that that experience was much better than the grief there. He was there, you know, for me to sound, but I really felt like I did all the talking. He didn't give me any feedback, but this woman, she was amazing because I went in and I'm telling her, you know, all that was happening. And I'm telling her that she needs to tell me what I need to tell him so that we could be great. And she was like, you know, nodding, like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. Then she gives me this book, which I can't remember the book she gave me. But what she did say to me was, now, I can't tell you how to fix your husband, but I can help you work Mm. on you. And I'm like, okay, this lady ain't heard nothing I said. I told you, I'm not the problem here. He's the problem. (laughs) She's not listening to me. So she gave me this book. I don't even really remember reading the book. But I do remember, you know, reading some of the stuff that it said. And I remember telling her, too, in therapy, I said, you know, I just feel like I married my dad. I feel like, you know, he is just like my father and he's strong-willed and blah, blah, blah. She said, you know, I really feel like you married your mother. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, you, you know, it's, it's been said that people tend to gravitate towards what they're lacking. And it seems to me from what you said that you really married your mother. And I'm like, this lady, I don't know. Why am I, who is paying her? Because <laughs> she's terrible. <laughs> but after I stopped doubting her and being the skeptical Virgo that I am, and I started to analyze what she said, I'm like, man, you know what? She could be right. 
And I was like, this woman is a good therapist. The only problem I had was our schedule, you know, was just not me matching up. But she had given me enough that I was able to take from her, you know, and continue to do that work, you know, on my own and by reading books. And like I said, coming to your retreat and just really looking at um, my life. And I'm like, wow, it had never, nobody had ever said that to me before. Cause I really, I mean, if I put my husband next to my dad, I can check off so many similarities, but wow. that core of him, the fact that he, you know, wouldn't let me, it almost felt like when I was over mothering him, as you said, um, he would draw away from me and my mother is, you know, as much as I wanted to draw her closer when I was growing up because I, I didn't have her, she was away. And so I made the correlation between the two, like that is the thing I have no control over because I want to be able to put you in this box and you sit there and you let me love you. You don't yeah. go nowhere. <laughs> don't move. And that was exactly what I wanted to do with my mother. You just be here for me to love on you. Don't move. Why do you want to, you know, be away from me? So she was a good therapist. And I highly suggest it because it was the breakthrough, one of the breakthroughs. There's so many. And I still know that there are more that I need. But it helped me so much. I got a few questions I am going to ask you. Um, when did you know you wanted to be a writer and it wasn't just a hobby? When did you know that you wanted to release this book? I gave you the deadline. When did you know? <laughs> because you've been wanting to release it for a while. So I, the only thing I did was kind of pushed you off the ledge. When did you know that you wanted to write? I first real um, knew that I was a writer. Um, there was a program through the newspaper Chicago Defender, which it was the oldest Black daily newspaper in existence um, at that time. And my best friend, Katrina was there and I wanted to go to the Museum of Science and Industry. We were nerds. That's where we hung out. And I'm like, girl, where are you going on Saturdays? Why we can't go to the museum? So she's like, well, you know, my mom put me in this program with the Chicago Defender. So I'm like, grandmother, I got to go to the Chicago Defender because that's where Katrina is. And she keep on leaving me. Can I go? And she's like, yeah, you know, she waved me. I'm like, whatever, just, you know, go. So I went and um, the man who was running that particular program at the time was Michael Brown. And he said, you know, he would give us assignments. And I'm okay, I write the little, really, I'm just here for my friend because I want to spend time with her. I'm but not here for this writing business, but I write the little thing real quick. I give it to him. He read it. He's like, okay, you know, gave us another assignment. I write the thing up real quick. Like, okay, girl, can we go now? I mean, it's time. We, we need to get to this museum. So he said, did you know that you were, that you're a writer? You're a good writer. And I'm like, you know, all girls can write. I mean, Phyllis Wheatley, Maya Angelou, you know, that's what girls do. We write poetry. <laughs> we write stuff. And he's like, no, everybody doesn't do this. And I'm like, I mean, what you mean? Every girl can write poetry. That's what girls do. We, that's, we, you know, we write down our feelings and we put it into a poem. And he's like, no, you're good. This is not something everybody could do. And I'm like, really? So then he said, you know, come back next Saturday. And we're going to meet on Saturdays. And we're going to have this little um, youth paper or whatever it was called. I can't remember. 
And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I started going. I started writing. Um, he started publishing it in a newspaper. My grandmother was proud. She like, girl, I didn't even know. <laughs> I thought she was smart, but I didn't know you was going to be the next Oprah Winfrey. I'm like, you're going too fast, but thank you. So that's how I knew that I was a writer. Then I started to want to write a whole book. And I'm like, and people would tell me, you should write a book. You should write a book, which is a lot of pressure. But that is also something that I always desire, but I always went about it the wrong way, in my opinion, because I thought I could write a novel. I wanted to write Little Women. I wanted to be this great, you know, I wanted to write like, what's it, Terry McMillan. That's what I wanted to do. But every time I would try, I would get stuck. And I'm like, why can't I do this? I mean, I read. This isn't too hard. So I stopped start and I have great ideas and then I would stop I would even send it to my friends one of my biggest supporters Sandy she was like girl just do it it's good I couldn't do it so it wasn't until I had this 30 days staring down my neck <laughs> and I'm like I didn't tell Nikisha I'm gonna have this book written now girl you don't have to do it and I said when am I able to just write and not feel stuck I'm like, really, when I'm just writing from my own experiences, when I'm writing and speaking my truth, am mm -hmm. I able to just write and it flow? And when I when people tell me, oh, you wrote, you know, I, some people, you know, will come up to me. I really felt what you wrote. I'm like, really? Because I felt it, you know, <laughs> when I was writing there. So I guess, you know, the heart speaks to the heart. So I'm like, well, let me just speak from my heart. Let me just write down some stuff you know and this is years of me writing journaling so that's what I put in the book and I write on everything I can pick up anything and just start writing poetry all that stuff just comes to me and I write it down so I gathered up all my post-its and my back of the bills and typed it up and was like okay this is the book let me just go ahead and let it go and I did not stop myself because when somebody else needs me when they want me to make it happen I make it happen so I'm like, when are you going to make it happen for yourself? Because I stopped trusting my word for me. I had to make my word bond for myself. And that's that's what I know. I'm like, regardless of where it goes, and I did pray. I'm like, Lord, make my little be a lot. <laughs> yes. I had to let it go. And you said it. You're like, done is better than perfect. Yeah. I'm like, okay, Nakisha said it. Yeah. <laughs> so it might not be the big novel, the little women that I thought it was going to be. But I'm gonna let it go anyway, Lord. So, you know, just put your stamp of approval on it and I'm good. You know, I, I thought a lot, you know, about it and I thought about how many lives are being changed when you were saying your son was like, Ma, you know, people at the school need to read this book. I need a copy of this book. I'm thinking, how many generations is this girl gonna touch and don't even know it? Like, how many generations? is going to be moved by you. And that's the thing about having a book. You could be dead, old, gone on a, in another part of your life and your words are in print forever. It, it, it was just so amazing. I was, I was even, I, I, I got some people that I need to shout out. We're going to shout out Allah first. We're going to make sure we shout out Allah first. I want to shout out your parents. I want to shout out your wonderful husband. I want to shout out bonus mama. I want to shout out <laughs> grandmama. I want to shout out bonus daddy, mother-in-law. I want to thank the babies. 
um, for coming through you, Bradley, Monty, Joshua, and Jeremiah. I want to thank the sisters, Nadine, Joseph, mm-hmm. and Jordan. I want to thank the sister girls because I think a lot of times people don't realize your friends are actually your family that you choose. Um, best friend, Katrina, uh, your sister, Tracy. I'm going to say this name. I think I can get this right. Chatanya, Latika. Did I say that right? Vinyana mm-hmm. and Leslie. I was reading those names. I had wrote them down and I was like, make sure you shout these people out because without these people in your mm-hmm. life and your sister friend, Sandy, I don't want to forget her and uh, <laughs> Kreetha mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Tiff and uh, Shaka Wandra and Shannon Yvette because mm-hmm. your circle are the people who's going to gather around you and hold you accountable. They're going to bless you. They're going to kiss your wounds. And everybody has a particular part that they have to play to get from one end to the next. It's a particular role that everybody has that without them, this story would not be complete, you know, and I know that your mom is shining down and your grandmother are both clapping and glad that you got the lesson and you got the blessing. But girl, we're not going to end it there. I got to ask you about the apron. Can we talk about the apron? <laughs> Before we talk about the apron, I also have to thank um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the yes. Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan yes. because he has definitely, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him continuing the work of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, but what did you want to say about the apron? Look, I have been <laughs> cursing my apron. And for the people who have not read the book, she wrote a whole paragraph to the apron, right? She wrote a whole paragraph to the apron. And if you don't know who that is, that's what I call the baby mama stomach. Each part of us tell a story about our journey. I stood in front of a mirror nude. My eyes scanned my body. My husband lay quietly watching me. I embraced my stomach. No more babies, okay? This belly has carried four babies, and this apron is taken away. No, she didn't just call her stomach an apron, he said. <laughs> in the air while chuckling, I looked at him, and I laughed in my own analogy. Our eyes danced together. His eyes called for me. I walked over to him. He embraced my apron and kissed it gently. He loves me. He loves my apron and my children that it bore. I love me. I love what it produced. I feel beautiful. We embraced. We both embraced my apron. We embrace love. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You made me, I hate my apron. I've talked about it for so long. I talked about it so bad. And I think it wasn't until maybe, maybe five or six years ago that I kind of was like, look, you know what I'm saying? I got to get a shout out to this apron because mm-hmm. I held babies in this body with this apron. All my internal organs are good in this stomach. You know, I'm not hooked to machines. I can, it holds my, my stomach muscles, whose cousins with my spine that make sure that I stand up. It brought a whole different essence to a body part that we hate 
so much. What made you write that? I I want to know this. This is my own personal pleasure here. What made you write that? Well, I would have to give credit to my husband because he has never, when I met my husband, I was a buck oh five <laughs> in college. There was no thought. I didn't even know what apron was when I met him, but he has never pressured me to be anything other than what I am. And so when I, I could talk bad about myself, he's never will. He never has said a bad word about, and if I say I'm going to do something now, if I say, well, I'm going, you know, this, that, and the other, now he'll call me out. Like I thought you said you were going to run six miles. I ain't seen you run it all week. So he will do that, but he has never, you know, been critical of my body ever. And so as I'm standing in the mirror, like, you know, I've been wanting this Janet Jackson six pack for like 10 years and it's just not happening. This stomach, this apron. And he's like, you know, he don't see nothing wrong. And I know that because of how he looks at me and he's always drawn me in with his eyes from when we first met. That's how I, <laughs> that's how I was drawn to him because the way he looks at me. And so the way he looked at me then was how he looked at me when I was a buck oh five. And I was able to write that and not care about anybody reading it because I'm good. I mean, the apron actually ain't even an apron no more. I've been working on it, but it don't even, it doesn't even matter. It's a part of me and everything about me is lovable, including that part of me. And that part of me the most, because that's what bore life. I wouldn't have my babies if it wasn't for this belly, you know, this yeah. belly that was able to hold them and carry them. Yeah. I mean, come on. It's the best part. <laughs> it's the, one of the best parts of me. And yes. he embraced at that moment, all of that, that I wrote, I, I actually was just something that I wrote in my journal that became a poem because he absolutely embraced my stomach and get, and kissed it. Like what's wrong with it? I mean, I'm not tripping on it. It's fine. You know, it's nothing that's, wrong with what I'm seeing and so because he embraced it I was able to embrace it like yeah you know what it is you know the bomb (laughs) I'm so grateful thank you for you know allowing me to love a part of me like you said that I hated about myself like why won't it just go away just stop and he helped me to embrace it I don't know if you know you have changed so much and the time that I've known you and not only have I watched you walk through the fire, you have documented and I have proof that you have the way you speak, the way you carry yourself. I couldn't pay you a million dollars to get on Facebook live. I couldn't pay you a million dollars <laughs> to get on Periscope. Yeah, And you get on here now so openly, so freely, you are unlocking a lot of women's cages. You are unlocking a lot of women's cages. You are changing the dynamic in people's DNA and in their family structure. And I don't know if you know that Allah is using you in a way that you have always meant to be used. Always. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. Praise be to Allah. If it wasn't for me finishing this, I feel like a whole different person just because I wrote the book. Now I do everything scared. It's like, oh, I don't want, you know, when I post stuff, I'm like, oh, what was the um the hashtag? Get the post it. Mikey, get the post it. Mikey, get the post it. 
when I don't want to, and I'm like, I know I am wearing these people out. I didn't, everybody knows about the book, but I got to do it. I got, and it's not even really just me. It's not me at all. This is all came from Allah. I'm shouting it. him out. When I do it, it's not Latasha Dutar, who is the author. I'm only the conduit. I'm the vessel that put it out there. And because I'm the vessel, I got to keep giving birth to it. I got to keep shouting out. And I got to keep on doing it even when I don't want to or when I'm fearful of it because it ain't about me. It's, it has nothing to do with me. And I just, I realized that after <laughs> it was done, yeah. after I was obedient to it, because at first I was, you know, no, not doing it, not going to do it. But once I said yes, so many doors have opened and I'm like, really? Like even this being on this podcast, this wasn't my reality of what in January, 2019 was rough. And I'm going to talk about that at some point, if not on Facebook in the next book, but 2019 was rough until this book, until I said yes. Yeah. And, and the more that I walk through my own life, the more that I say yes, the lighter my burdens become for me because I know that it is a calling. It's always been a calling on my life and I have been putting everybody in front of myself and everything that I taught, I had start to forget until I read this book. This book has reminded me of my purpose. No, this book has blessed me. You will never, ever know. Shout out to your best friend's mama who had her going down to, to, the, to the newspaper place and she had the right, which had you going down there. Thanks, Grandma Della, for letting you go down there so you can write. So... 20, 30 years later, you can bless my life with this um, book because I'm telling you, one woman's journey to self-love is a million's women's journey to self-love. I want everybody to know how to find you. Give out your social media handles. It's Latasha Zatar on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram and Snapchat. Yes. So what I'm going to do, I'm going <laughs> to put the link. Um to the book so they can purchase the book the shoe finally fits it's on amazon you need to get your copy right now she's going to be on a book tour <clears throat> soon <laughs> and i am definitely pushing that i definitely i'm definitely pushing that book tour um because i i need this book to be everywhere i just need this book to be everywhere because it's so many of us Think that once we get past 30, once we get past 40, once we get married, once we have children, things will heal itself. And until you do the work, it's never going to heal. It's like a sword that will never, ever heal. And Tosh is a true testament of someone doing the work. So I will put the link below and um, I would definitely put all your social media handles so people can get in contact with you and they can follow you. Final words, the floor is yours, sis. I just want to end with gratitude. Thank you so much for even thinking of me. Um, to even pull me in on your live, Keisha. I was so like <laughs> a deer caught in headlights, but I did it anyway. I'm like, okay, now if Nakisha is calling me out, I'm going to just have to step up. Yes. I'm going to have to do it. It ain't no so fun I'm, I'm if grateful. my homie can't have none. <laughs> Well, I'm grateful to you. I appreciate you so much and what you've been for me and for so many others. Thank you for showing up 
and showing out. Everybody go right now and get your copy of The Shoe Finally Fits, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. And me and Latasha will be back at you soon, I promise. Bye.